0: Welcome to the New Books Network.
1: Hello, this is Lily Gorn with the New Books Network, the New Books and Political Science podcast. Today I'm joined by Chidim Chetum, who is author of In the Street. Democratic Action, Theatricality, and Political Friendship. This was published by Oxford University Press in 2021. This is a really fascinating and sophisticated analysis of thinking about uh, political protests, current ones and past ones, um, and how they fit into our understanding of democratic theory and democracy in general um, with a side component of how they also integrate and, and consider, um, strangers meeting and how that is a component of what we might consider to be political friendship, perhaps defined by Aristotle. Um, but I'm going to have Jidim tell us, tell us all about that. First, I would like to welcome, um, to the podcast and ask her to tell us a little bit about herself and how she came to this
2: particular project. Welcome to the podcast. Well, thank you so much, Lily. Thank you for having me. It's a great pleasure. Um, uh, It's uh, wonderful to be able to talk about my work. Um, So uh, I came to this topic uh, as a part of my uh, dissertation uh, work, uh, but perhaps this was the issue of political protest and political action uh, has been the central thing that... uh, made me interested in political theory in the first place. I think it was in my senior year in college when I first read Hannah Arendt and when she talks about the joy and gratification of acting together. Uh, that was the thing that got me hooked uh, in in uh, political theory and, and in study of political protest and political action. Um, so since then, uh, of course, a lot has happened. Uh, one of the other... Um, um, turning points was, uh, the turning point was the Gezi protests that took place in Turkey in 2013. Uh, uh, pure luck would have it that I was there at the time. Um, I did not uh, engage in participatory observation, but I was there in the protests. Uh, and that changed uh, the way I see things in, in rather uh, important ways as it did for many people who participated in those events uh, as well. Um, so it is, it is partially the ongoing interest uh, all the way from my graduate school years, uh, combined with this personal uh, deeply uh, affecting experience that made me think about how we talk about democratic action, how we talk about democratic spontaneous moments, um, uh, and in what ways the way we talk about those events uh, can lead to um, the erasure of uh, the emancipatory dimensions of those events. So th- those were the questions that emerged partially from my experience during the events and in the aftermath when people started writing and talking about. And, and so you, you set up the book and
1: it's really interesting because you, you enter, the reader enters the book through your description in a kind of forward um, of of these aesthetic images that um, that you sort of sort of draw back and forwards from the the protests in Turkey um, in in 2013 to the protests in France in 1968 to protest in France in the um, French Revolution. Um, And and so that the image has sort of gone through a a number of different iterations. And this is the reader's entry point into your discussion of um, political protests and political theory. (laughs) So I would love for you to explain how this particular folding in on this image of um, beauty in the street I think um, is important to start our thinking on this context of democratic action uh, and political protest.
2: Yes, thank you. Yes, I mean it is the image that you're talking about is uh, um, a stencil uh, that I came across as I was looking for the street art that emerged during the protests. And the stencil—it is—it is also in the uh, cover of the book. Um, uh, so the stencil is the image of this ominous-looking gas, gas-masked figure, and underneath it, it says in Turkish "chemical tayyip, referring to Recep Tayyip Erdogan, the president, then prime minister of Turkey, um, and making this allusion to chemical warfare in order to criticize the. Uh, Uh, police violence that was taking place at the time during the protests. But what really got me excited and interested in the image, I mean, the image itself is uh, really powerful, but what really got me excited was that um, there is this uh, fragment of a sentence on top of it that looks as if it is there by mistake um, because it is in French, above all. Uh, Why do we have a French uh, fragment of a sentence on an Istanbul street? Um, uh, So the, the... Fragment says, Eden and it means, is in the street. Um, and of course, that is, uh, that turns out to be um, a section of a, a, an iconic May 68 poster um, that uh, um, has this figure of woman throwing a, a cobblestone and it says, the beauty is in the street. Um, and I, I uh, try to look into how that image uh, was picked up in this uh, current uh, constellation uh, in Turkey. And the image itself is, of course, harkening back, as you suggested, to um, uh, a painting from uh, 1860s uh, in terms of the French Revolution. So its it shows us uh, in, in a uh, rather fascinating way how protesters uh, take these, what Walter Benjamin calls, uh, tigers leap into the past and... Um, Link these chronologically distant events uh, by linking the hopes and desires of those people who uh, created those moments of action. And and one of the concerns that the book tries to deal with is that Benjamin says, um, for such constellations to occur, uh, we have to have a record of those events. Um, And for that reason, he says, he uh, calls the theorist, the historian, the theorist, uh, to brush uh, history against the grain so as to rescue the p- past uprisings uh, from official accounts um, that either tone down their um, uh, subversive dimensions or uh, erase their presence from collective memory. Um, and it's that is the kind of effort that I, I'm trying to take uh, uh, make in this book uh, as a way to brush history against the grain so as to keep a record of the hopes and desires of these people um, um, uh, who enacted uh, these moments of uh, democratic action so that uh, we can have a record of those events and they can be picked up later on in the future. Um, that's uh, that's what uh, Benjamin calls um, fanning the spark of hope in the past and that is, that is the kind of exercise that I'm trying to... Uh, engaging in this. World.
1: And one of the points that you make as you're sort of traveling through not only, um, how, uh, Jean-Jacques Rousseau thought about um, sort of emancipatory struggles and, and public protests. But as you you sort of put Rousseau in an encounter, in a certain sense, with three more contemporary theorists who also all experienced the events of 1968, um, is that you, you sort of talk about the flattening of of, of history and the flattening of our understanding of these kinds of revolutionary experiences, events, the, the uprisings in 68, the uprising in Tahrir Square, um, the Gizeh, Gizeh um, protests in Turkey uh, and elsewhere, um, that, that a lot of the time these events are sort of, in historical perspective, made simple um how how is it that the sort of protests should be considered?
2: Yes, uh, that, that is that is an excellent question and that is uh, the goal that I'm trying to achieve to come up with a new conceptual framework where we can actually uh, keep a record of those diverse uh, uh, creative uh, innovative practices of these actors and this is this is some, this is one of the issues that that um, I have been having uh, since perhaps the Occupy Wall Street or, or the Arab Spring, um, uh, the revolutionary struggle in Tahrir Square, et cetera, because one of the most telling uh, shared aspects of those debates that emerge um, in the aftermath of significant moments of popular action, and, and we can add uh, the protests that started in t- uh, 2020, for instance, after the killing of George Floyd and Brianna Taylor. Um, is that on the one hand, commentators, and and when I say commentators, I include both the uh, scholars of protest, democratic theorists, but also um, 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 pundits in the mainstream media. Uh, What I see there is on the one hand, uh, uh, they all praise the spontaneity, which they equate with uh, the absence of organizational efforts and the festive atmosphere and the irreducible diversity of the protesters. Um, On the other hand, and almost in the same breath, the same commentators um, take issue with the participants' uh, alleged inability of uh, uh, organization, inability to organize. Um, They warn uh, the protesters that in the absence of meaningful political organization, um, um, such revolts are going to uh, fail. They will remain as mere revolts, never turn into uh, long-lasting political change. And and I uh, I think that what we end up with is uh, a set of debates that remain trapped uh, in this in these binaries um, and between success and failure. So we, our debate is shaped by what, what it takes what would what it would take for these people to succeed in bringing about long lasting change. And also in in a fruitless debate regarding the um, uh, relative virtues of spontaneity uh, and uh, organization. Um, And I suggest that when we are trapped in those debates and uh, what uh, we lose is, um, uh, and I turn to Kristen Ross for this, and she takes this notion of working existence of democracy from uh, Marx what we lose is a sight of the working uh, existence of democracy. In in other words, the uh, actions, the -the on-the-ground efforts of political actors who create these events uh, against uh, all odds. And I I wonder how can we understand uh, the erasure of uh, such practices from all these different accounts? Uh, And my answer to that question is that um, I think that erasure goes to the heart of democratic theory itself. Um, I, so I trace uh, that erasure, the reasons behind that treasure, uh, erasure, back to Jean Jacques Rousseau's theorization of uh, popular sovereignty uh, and his account of popular sovereignty as the immediate expression uh, of uh, popular will. Um, so I, I suggest that um, this shared conception of uh, democratic action. Uh, which casts organization as um, a technical matter uh, that precedes politics and moments of spontaneous action as sudden explosions uh, repeat uh, a Rousseauian tendency to think of democratic action as the immediate and direct expression of uh, people 's wealth and and when they do that, they also um, bring in some of the problematic tendencies uh, in Rousseau's work. Um, So I can... Talk about that, or we can move to another place. I'll, I'll leave it. I'll leave it well, to you. Well, I, I was going to ask you for why it is that Rousseau's the
1: bad guy, <laughs> because because you you sort of set up the book that Rousseau is somewhat problematic um, for our thinking about popular protest, um, and and so I I would love for you to go into at least a bit of an over overview as to why he is this problem. Problematic theorist in regard to democratic agitation, um, and, and sort of why his sort of focus on the question of immediacy, um, as you tease out of his work, is really at the heart of the responses to um, how he's cast a long shadow in our thinking about popular engagement and popular protest in the street.
2: Yes, uh, yes, thank you. Well, uh, that's, that's an excellent <laughs> question. Uh, <laughs> I mean, uh, of course, Rousseau is a central figure for uh, democratic theory, especially the kind of democratic theory that emphasizes uh, participation, participatory politics. Uh, and yet, I want to say that there is uh, the same kind of oscillation that we see in the contemporary debates in Rousseau's work itself On the one hand, Rousseau uh, makes it clear that uh, popular sovereignty is about uh, the direct rule of the people. Um, And he he argues that um, um, uh, liberty is uh, uh, writing uh, the laws that you make, uh, obeying the laws that you uh, make yourself. Uh, On the other hand, and almost in the same breath, uh, Rousseau is deeply suspicious of people's ability to govern themselves without the guidance of uh, some sort of a figure. So I I see that um, um, oscillation between this confidence and emphasis on uh, people's uh, uh, capacity to govern themselves and the suspicion uh, regarding their ability to do so as, as one of the foundational uh, paradoxes of Rousseau's thought. And what I I try to show, and I argue that this is the uh, long shadow, is that Rousseau wants to emphasize that uh, um, popular sovereignty relies on uh, the immediate presence of citizens in the uh, assemblies. Um, And and yet he's also deeply uh, suspicious that uh, that immediate presence, if it is left to its own devices, will uh, result uh, in... um, actions that will lead to decisions that will be interest of the uh, community as a whole. And one of the things that he does uh, to deal with uh, that is to ensure that there is no mediation within the assembly. So as many figures like Michel Foucault and Habermas himself talks about, um, the assembly in Rousseau's account is a unity of hearts rather than. Uh, minds uh, Rousseau makes clear that there is no deliberation in the assembly. we have to be there um, in, in full presence without entering into any intermediating practices mediation with one another uh, because that uh, risks clouding uh, the possibility of reaching uh, the common goal uh, which should reside in in people's um, hearts as uh, in their capacity as citizens. Um, so there is, uh, there is that aspect. And then, of course, Rousseau is also uh, concerned that such um, moments of action um, are short-lived. Uh, um, they, can, they, they cannot sustain themselves uh, over a long period of time. And the solution that he comes up with is to uh, ensure that these assemblies are periodic assemblies, so they can be periodically enacted um, in order to ensure uh, uh, the sustainability of the uh, state. Uh, so there's, there's, there are those concerns uh, that uh, animate resource view, um, uh, which uh, also require the guidance of some sort of a authority figure in the uh, form of a legislature. Uh, um, um, as he talks about in On the Social Contract. So so I see these uh, interesting aspects in Rousseau's thought uh, being repeated in uh, the accounts of contemporary theorists, even in, in those contemporary theorists who are uh, especially careful uh, to not reproduce some of the problems that they see in Rousseau's own accounts, such as um, uh, signing on to a notion of a macro subject, as Habermas would put it, with a single will, etc. Uh, and how do I see that? Well, I, I suggest that um, uh, when we think about uh, democratic moments of political action as these sudden, instantaneous events, uh, these explosions, um, um, the commentators seem to reduce spontaneous protests to the immediate and authentic. Uh, expression of uh, protesters who seem to be acting as a unified subject. And I say that because uh, the word spontaneous, uh, which comes from the Latin soa ponte, means of one's own accord. And it can mean uh, immediacy only when uh, action is undertaken by a subject uh, with a single will. So it seems to me that it's no surprise that when commentators equate spontaneity to immediacy, they end up with these accounts that erase the rich uh, and varied practices of uh, diverse political actors. And the second issue is that um, it seems to me that um, uh, by construing the transience of spontaneous action as a sign of its failure and considering democratic moments, uh, unpredictability as a shortcoming, many of these um, um, commentators, theorists, uh, follow in Rousseau's footsteps. um, And and in doing so, and perhaps this is the most um, um, outrageous uh, (laughs) claim when we talk about someone like Ranciere, for instance, but uh, they they produced a a deeply anti-democratic Rousseauian understanding of the role of the intellectual. Um, uh, in politics, uh, which defines it, uh, I say, in strictly educational forms. Uh, In other words, um, uh, in this account, uh, uh, the task of the theorist is charged, uh, uh, the task of the theorist is to uh, tell uh, the uh, actors on the ground what their goals really are, how they should act if they are to bring about a long-lasting change, uh, etc. And I see there that move that I see uh, in Rousseau Uh, which is on the one hand valorizing the uh, immediate action of the people but then having the suspicious uh, with regard to their ability to govern themselves.
1: And and so this is the the tension that you see in Rousseau and this oscillation back and forth, um, particularly with regard to this question of the puncturing nature of of um, sort of political protest or political uh, sort of vocal political action, is where you then have these interlocutors, these more much more contemporary interlocutors, come in and you analyze them. In taking on Rousseau and thinking about um, sort of this this democratic action problem, um, and and also thinking about the democratic action as what it might produce um, the outcome, as opposed to the democratic action. For its own purpose, um, and this is again where we get to this question of what is uh, the goals of the organization of the organizing of the democratic action. So, can you um, go over the three key um, theorists that you sort of put in conversation with Rousseau on
2: this topic? Sure, of course. Uh, so, so what I do in the book is. Um, an attempt to counter this Rousseauian influence um, um, and this, what I call, hold of immediacy on, on our democratic thought uh, by doing two things. First, I uh, appropriate uh, Aristotle's notion of political friendship um, so as to uh, bring to light what is otherwise erased in these accounts, namely uh, those practices, what I call intermediating practices, that enable different people, erstwhile well, strangers, to work together. Um, and, and bring that uh, conception of political friendship, um, um, uh, and, and in order to create an alternative conceptual framework that uh, emphasizes theatricality of democratic action, which um, uh, I take uh, uh, largely from uh, Jacques Rancière's account. Um, so so to do that, to come up with this alternative conceptual framework, uh, as you suggested, I uh, critically engage with um, and build on the works of uh, three contemporary uh, democratic theorists, uh, Antonio Negri, Jürgen Habermas, and Jacques Rancière, uh, who all uh, uh, formulated their own radically different conceptualizations of democracy in the aftermath of yet another uh, uh, major uh, democratic uprising that is the uh, uh, uprisings of uh, 1968. Um, and while their experiences were filtered uh, through the uh, circumstances of their countries in which they lived, and 68 takes many different forms in, in different countries, uh, and also they were, while they were coming from different Marxist traditions, uh, autonomous Marxism in Negri's uh, account, Frankfurt School in Habermas' and Althusserian Marxism in Ranciere's account, Uh, all these thinkers uh, writing in Italy, Germany, and France uh, took similar journeys um, that carried them away from their uh, earlier Marxist positions and moved them towards uh, democratic theory. Uh, And they they did so um, while trying to answer questions that Uh, we are also trying to answer in the aftermath of these uh, important moments of democratic action questions such as, uh, can spontaneous uprisings uh, ever lead to institutional change, or are they bound to dissipate uh, without creating a permanent effect? Um, What accounts for the elusiveness of such moments of collective action? Um, What uh, prevented the protesters from coming up with a coherent List of demands. I mean, we hear this all the time. Uh, also, questions such as um, who is the subject of these events, uh, and and what role should we as intellectuals play uh, in the face of such unexpected uh, moments of democratic action? So it seems to me that all these theorists uh, address these questions uh, in their work. Um, and in Negri, uh, and what I do in in. Each of these accounts is to offer some historical uh, background with regard to the kind of political, in- with regard to explaining the political interventions that these uh, theorists are engaging in uh, in each of these chapters. So, for instance, Negri um, um, tried to convince his Marxist colleagues that uh, uh, neither multiplicity of struggles, um, uh, which characterised the vibrant political field in Italy um, during the early 1970s, uh, nor the diversity of political actors were a revolutionary, uh, were a roadblock to revolutionary politics. I mean, this was one of the central issues that were going on um, in the autonomous Marxist circles at the time in terms of are we uh, losing sight of uh, what what constitutes the real struggle? Are we having too many people saying too many things? And, And Negri, I think, in a really significant way, stands up to those criticisms and says, no, it is it is actually important that we have diverse political actors, we have diverse concerns. Um, so, so what he did was to challenge the uh, Marxist orthodoxy's um, attachment to the idea that a narrowly defined working class can become the subject of uh, revolution. Um, and, and he tried to broaden the scope of the revolutionary subject by introducing a number of notions, including the social worker and the multitude um, to have an open and inclusive concept um, to highlight the emancipatory potential of these uh, diverse actors. Um, And yet, uh, uh, and this is is where I see the uh, resurgence of uh, Rousseauian emphasis on immediacy. Despite this uh, crucial effort to rethink uh, revolutionary democratic action for Negri, they are uh, one and the same, especially in later Negri, Um, Negri uh, continued to share his colleagues' uh, view that the transience of popular uh, uprisings is um, a sign of their failure. So even in the most recent works that uh, he co-authored with Michael Hart, um, um, Negri seems to be concerned that the political organization of the multitude uh, is necessary, that um, the immediacy of the democratic event uh, does not become an obstacle to revolution. So the immediacy which he valorizes also becomes an issue um, uh, later on. So so that's um, Negri's uh, way of um, reintroducing Rousseauian problems in his work. And in certain ways, that is an easy case because Negri insists that democratic action has to be immediate and direct. Um, in Habermas, I see a different kind of resurgence um, of Rousseauian influence. Um, how, and, and that again has its roots in uh, Habermas's engagement with um, the political events of his uh, time during the 1968. Um, uh, Habermas's engagement with the debates that emerged uh, in the German context following the uh, 1968 uh, I, I believe led him to question the insistence to construe the transience of democratic action as failure. So so instead Habermas uh, embraces the fragility of events um, uh, as a guarantee against their calcification into bureaucratized movements. Uh, where the radical content of spontaneous associations are inevitably curtailed um, and new inequalities are created to meet, meet organizational demands. I mean, the, the, the criticism that Habermas provides uh, towards organizations is almost similar to Sheldon Walden's account um, of organizations in terms of how they inject, uh, inject uh, the sense of expertise and create this inequality, etc. cetera. So, so Habermas... I think is unique in the sense that he emphasizes the wild and anarchic, and those are direct quotes from Habermas's between facts and norms, uh, wild and anarchic moments of spontaneous action that constitute the radical core of deliberative democracy. Um, and, and yet, and here is the Rousseauian, um, um resurgence, I, I, uh, I think, um, while he emphasizes the democratic moments unrestricted uh, quality, and, um, Habermas is also very of the possibility that uh, they can uh, go out of hand uh, in certain ways. Um, and, and he, it seems to me, tries to address that concern um, by finding ways to constrain the unpredictability of democratic action. Um, and in doing so, uh, I suggest, and I see this especially in his discussions on civil disobedience uh, from 1980s, where he insists that um, uh, moments of uh, spontaneous action that deserve a tolerant attitude from the state requires the participants to have an attachment to the constitutional principles. And in that move, I see um, this uh, risk of turning uh, uh, political theory into a disciplinary mechanism, um, whereby the uh, theorist takes on the authority figure, role of the authority figure, charged with guiding democratic action one of the things that habermas insists in 1980s for instance uh, is that the protesters should not uh, uh, have reference to uh, the basic laws um, emphasis on resistance and instead focus on and uh, uh, formulate their term, uh, uh, dissent in terms of civil disobedience so so that is very interesting and unique because habermas is especially careful in terms of um, saying that the philosophers sh- the political theorist, should not uh, take on that role of uh, trying to guide political movements because philosopher doesn't have um, um, this unique access to the truth, so he's very, very careful on that regard. In that regard, and yet even in his account, I think there is, it is possible to see something uh, to this effect. So. So that that issue takes me to um, uh, Rancière, um, um, whose work uh, shapes uh, the book in, in, to a large extent. I believe uh, I'm very much um, influenced by his work. Um, and one of the questions uh, that uh, he uh, that shaped his political theory is this question of authority and the role of the um, uh, uh, political theorist. Um, uh, Rancière um, uh, discusses this notion especially after 1968 um, following his um, mentor um, Louis Althusser's uh, rather dismissive account of the events, which become more uh, dismissive as time goes by, um, whereby he calls the protests as uh, as a petty bourgeois uprising, which was bound to fail due to the protesters' um, class position, Um, especially in response to that uh, reaction, Ranciere um, begins to think about uh, how uh, leftist political thinkers uh, uh, discuss these democratic moments and and suggest that perhaps what we see here is an example of what he calls the transformation of political theory into what he calls a theory of education. And and he suggests that that was perhaps the most significant problem that plagued the debates in the aftermath of May 68. Uh, And in his early writings, uh, trying to find a way out from this uh, tendency, um, uh, Ranciere argued uh, or called for the theorists uh, to give up on their desire to control and shape the events that are going on around them Um, uh, and uh, suggested that perhaps far from uh, a shortcoming to be resolved, the unpredictability that uh, gives so much anxiety to certain theorists is an essential aspect uh, of democratic politics. Um, and to underline that point, uh, he, and here I, I argue that this is perhaps a decidedly anti-Rousseau in turn. Um, he emphasized uh, the theatrical aspect of democratic action. Uh, So according to him, uh, taking a role um, other than who they are supposed to be, uh, imitating others and acting as if they are a part uh, in a given social order in which they have no part, uh, political actors stage their uh, equality in democratic events. Um, And I think that is a uniquely anti-Rousseauian account because as I try to show in my chapter on Rousseau, Rousseau's conception of democratic action as the immediate expression of people's will is largely shaped uh, through his criticism of the theater and its um, um, claim to be an institution of uh, political and moral education during um, 1800s uh, in, during um, 18th centuries, late 1700s. So, so in that sense, Rancière is central to the project, but I think there is. Uh, Truth in some of the criticisms that are directed to Ranciere as well. Uh, many uh, critics of Ranciere um, have argued that he ignores the collective work that goes into the creation of such stagings of equality. Um, um, Peter Hallward calls this a, a blindness towards group dynamics in his account. Uh, there seems to be a focus on uh, moments of self-emancipation, as in the case of proletarian knights uh, and the ignorant schoolmaster. Um, and as such many uh, theorists, I believe, rightly uh, argued that he opens himself to the charge of limiting political activity to immediate acts of negation. Um, and in that sense, even in his account, it is possible to see Um, this resurgence of Rousseau and emphasis on immediacy that hounds Habermas's and Negri's conceptions. So it is with that in mind, uh, given that even such nuanced accounts um, um, seem to erase uh, uh, the crucial emancipatory dimensions of democratic action, that is to say the varied and innovative practices of democratic actors, uh, I suggest that what we need perhaps is an alternative conception and, and The linchpin of that alternative conception in in my account is is Aristotle's notion of political friendship.
0: I don't know about you, but I'm very busy and I don't have a lot of time to cook. That's why I subscribe to Factor. Eating better is easy with Factor's delicious, ready to eat meals. Every fresh, never frozen meal is chef crafted, dietitian approved, and ready to go in just two minutes. You'll have over 35 different options to choose from every week, including calorie smart, protein plus, and keto. These are two minute meals slash nbn50 to get 50% off.
1: And so that's where I wanted to take you next. Um, because as I was reading along in the book, I'm like, huh, this is a little bit of an interesting swerve here, (laughs) because this is not exactly where I thought we were going to go. But as I read your work on thinking about Aristotle's conception of political friendship, and how this is, to some degree, the antidote, if you will, to some of the problems with the contemporary theorists, as well as with Rousseau, um, around our understanding of democratic action and popular uprisings, that there is something that happens among people who are involved in these uprisings that is important, and that is is in a certain sense, capturable um, that I started to come, come round to the Um, (laughs) swerve. And so I would love for you to explain about how you saw this, you know, sort of re- not retreat, but move backwards to move forwards, to go back <laughs> to the ancients, in particular Aristotle, who does spend so much time, both Aristotle and Plato and Socrates spend so much time on this concept of friendship um, and understanding political friendship and how this really feeds into some, some ways that we can think about political action um, and protest.
2: Yes, thank you. Uh, yes, and it is, it, it, it I used to say, and in order to uh, make this conceptual uh, turn, I'm going to turn to an unexpected source, Aristotle, uh, and he's unexpected, yes, exactly, given that especially my focus is on contemporary thinkers, um, uh, um, even though I suggest that the problem, the source of the problem goes to Rousseau, Rousseau. Uh, um, but I think Aristotle is uh, especially important because there is, I mean, if you, if you, this is another aspect of um, uh, contemporary debates that I find um, uh, somewhat troubling in the sense that there is, there are these notions of how um these political actors almost suddenly come together and 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 all the differences melt away and you have this affective unit unity that uh, deals with uh, all these uh, disagreements etc uh, and and i want to emphasize that there is a crucial role for um, uh, emotions in in these uh, events uh, such as anger uh, indignation rage uh, and also joy uh, and uh, etc uh, i i was looking for finding a way to think about those without necessarily um, um, coming to this notion of um, an immediate sudden change that emanates from some sort of an emotional discharge, uh, as, as um, I believe that um, Jody Dean talks about that emotional discharge when she talks about crowds. And, and I think Aristotle helps me to bring those things together uh, uh, w- while emphasizing the importance of practices. And this is the reason why um, uh, Aristotle is such an important figure for me. Uh, and of course, I mean, political friendship uh, is a very contested concept uh, um, within the literature on Aristotle uh, as well, because He doesn't say much about it. It briefly emerges in certain sections of the text uh, in in Nicomachean ethics. Um, And so what I do is I I draw on uh, the existing literature, especially this recent um, move against the communitarian appropriation of the concept, uh, which presents it as as a strong sense of attachment uh, that generates a kind of moral unity. Uh, And and most contemporary uh, theorists of um, uh, Aristotle, um, and here I turn to people like uh, Bernard Yack, Jill Frank, uh, Daniel Allen, etc., they emphasize that uh, political friendship is a kind of shared advantage friendship. Um, um, It's a friendship that holds citizens together uh, by the expectation of a return of some good for the good that they do for another. Uh, in that sense uh, 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 political friendship is very different from an emotional attachment um, uh, Aristotle himself states that political friendship is uh, different uh, is different from uh, the kind of friendship uh, that you would have between um, comrades and kindreds since he says uh, unlike those kind of friendship this one relies on compact and agreement um, and um, uh, as an agreement, uh, what what is necessary uh, in political friendship is that um, one has to um, come to an agreement as to what they hold in common. So um, while brothers and comrades hold everything in common, uh, Aristotle writes, fellow voyagers and citizens share certain definite things, and it is by coming to an agreement of what they hold in common that they become friends. Uh, so in that sense... Um, uh, Reaching an agreement of this kind involves choice, um, but unlike uh, the act of choosing something on the spur of a moment, uh, this particular act of choosing requires people to uh, engage in deliberation, contestation, uh, judging, and understanding. And it is those activities that I call intermediating practices that relate people to one another um, in different ways. And it is also those practices that enable me to um, come up with a notion of um, unity uh, that uh, does not erase the constant existence of uh, disagreements and disputes uh, within uh, among pro- uh, protesters. Um, it also emphasizes the importance that uh, such kind of Uh, 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 coming together, a coming together of this kind cannot last forever because it requires the constant effort, constant practices of the political actors, but it also makes it clear that um, uh, the transience of such moments is not not as a part of their failure, but is something um, that is essential to them. And and in thinking about political friendship in these ways, I also think that um, we can see that that emphasis on purity, uh, that risk of turning these events into romanticized notions of um, immediate harmony, etc. Uh, I think political friendship serves as an antidote that kind, uh, to that kind of thinking as well. Because Aristotle makes clear, what you have here is an instrumental relation to a certain extent. Uh, you're giving something in, with the expectation of something in return. And that means that uh, you're bound to have uh, disputes and disagreements, um, and and it's the messiness of that kind of relationship is is a, is a central aspect of um, uh, democratic action itself. And that way, I I suggest what we see is that I um, mean one of the points that Rancière makes is uh, to say that um, those moments of disruption that he sees in the distribution of the sensible in those moments of democratic events, he said, these are one of moments. And as such, they can't be extended because the moment you try to extend them, you uh, find yourself in need of creating new social bonds, etc. And with those kinds of new social bonds, you create new inequalities and new kinds of exclusions. And my response through uh, Aristotle's political friendship is that, yes, that is indeed true. Um, and and perhaps as democratic theorists, we should not ignore the fact that even the most egalitarian moments create those kind of exclusions and inequalities, and that is that kind of messiness and impurity is a part of democratic action itself, and that should not take away us from uh, seeing the um, crystallization and hope of hopes and desires of these people who who create this. A new way of being, seeing, uh, and acting uh, in those moments of democratic action. And I just wanted to ask you one more point um,
1: to sort of unpack and, ex- and, and put together in context of our understanding of the role of democratic friendship within the scope of not only the democratic ideas or theories but also this this turn towards action um, is the the point that you brought up and that you raise um, in terms of um, Ranciere's disagreement with Rousseau over theater um, and theatricality and that the, the place where individuals actually perform their equality is in this zone of essentially political friendship, I think. Can you sort of explain that just a little bit more?
2: Yes, of course. That's an excellent question. Yes, that's a, that's an important part that I skipped, so thank you for asking that. Uh, yes, so what, what I say is that, yes, on the one hand, um, we have to come to terms with the fact that uh, political friendship refers to an instrumental relation in so far as it is an advantage friendship. Um, To the extent that it is friendship, it involves uh, verification of equality here and now. Um, So uh, political friends, I argue, who are vastly different from one another in terms of their habits, skills, excellence, as uh, um, Aristotle puts it. Uh, bring in those different habits and dispositions to contribute in equal terms uh, to uh, the common that they themselves constitute. Um, and, and I uh, suggest that they also rule and are ruled in turn. And, and I think that is especially important uh, that reciprocal activity of ruling is especially important in understanding the significance of um, um, innovative resistance practices that we have been, seeing in various democratic uh, events uh, such as uh, the creation of horizontal networks and um, where taking turns had become the organizing principle um, or uh, practices of property like common use uh, that, turned, uh, that turned equality into what Rancière calls a verifiable fact rather than uh, a future uh, agenda uh, that is a goal that is set in the future. Um and, and it seems to me that um, what we can see is both uh, the egalitarian aspect of democratic action, as a result uh, through the conceptual of uh, uh, conceptual lens of political friendship, and also uh, the impurity and messiness of democratic events uh, by, by being attuned to the uh, inequalities, exclusions that are created as a result of uh, the creation of this kind of a relationship. Um, But it seems to me that what is being erased uh, in all these other accounts uh, of democratic action that discuss them in terms of uh, sudden explosions, immediate reactions uh, of uh, people, uh, rash and uh, in certain ways sometimes called as irrational reactions of the people um, is is uh, the very existence of contestation deliberation uh, judging um, uh, coming up with practices like uh, common use uh, even uh, practices like artistic production that relate these people these erstwhile strangers um, and in that sense uh, uh, ensure that they begin to relate to one another through the mediation of these these um, practices themselves and so
1: now that you have completed what is a fascinating and complex analysis of protests um, and democratic theory um, and you've put many many political theorists in conversation with one another in very fascinating ways what is it that you're working
2: on now <laughs> that's a very good question yes um, So uh, I think one of the things, and this is um, how I end the book as well, um, is the question of um, remembrance. In other words, how do we remember uh, events such as these? How do we struggle against the efforts uh, by the powers that be? And in Turkey, that is... um, the current authoritarian rule uh, under the leadership of Recep Tayyip Erdogan. um, How can we struggle against the efforts of the powers that be to erase the collective memory of events such as these? Um, I think this took especially uh, a dire turn in Turkey. Uh, I mean, Erdogan was trying to trivialize the events from the very beginning. So he first called Called the events during the, as the events were unfolding he called the protesters as a, a bunch of vandals uh, destroying things. Then he called them um, uh, a group of middle class activists who don't understand the real concerns of uh, the real people uh, which is in somehow repeated in certain leftist accounts uh, and I, I, I think that is something that we have to think about carefully. And then, after the end of the events, I think perhaps um, in an unwitting recognition of the enormity of what has happened, he began to call the uh, the events as a um, coup attempt uh, to overthrow the government. Um, and and that uh, claim was taken to its extreme by um, an effort to put literally put Gezi protests on trial by putting a number of uh, activists. Uh, on trial for uh, organizing um, to overthrow the government uh, and uh, organizing the protests in order to overthrow the government. So the um, uh, outcome of that trial uh, uh, was uh, um, um, declared on uh, April 25, almost a month uh, earlier. Um, And um, the court... um, sentenced one of the activists for um, uh, a life sentence and seven others to 18 years of prison sentence. And, and in, in res- when I see that kind of direct political attempt to erase what has happened and to rewrite history, I, I begin to think about the importance of... Um, keeping a record of uh, the past that uh, Benjamin calls flits by to keep a true record of that. And and I wonder what, what it takes to do that. So my most recent work is focusing on that issue, um, and not only to keep a record of uh, the protests and the uh, unrealized hopes uh, and um, desires of the people who enacted those uh, protests, but also um, most recently, for instance, um, the government's attempt to crash um, um, Kurdish resistance in the southern part of Turkey. And um, there I especially look at these images uh, that were released uh, by special operations units um, as a way to further humiliate the Kurdish population there. And I try to read those images um, as a way to show... What they are trying to do, and in what ways reading those images in a different way can undermine that attempt to uh, tell a particular story of what has happened. So so that's the new project looking at the images and interpreting them in ways so that we can ensure that the, the memory of resistance is not erased by the powers that Or, or have. flattened,
1: as you talk about throughout the book.
2: Exactly. Um, Exactly. Well, I hope
1: that you'll come back and speak to me about that book when you finish it, because it sounds fascinating. Um, And I would probably learn more about Turkish history as a result. (laughs) (laughs)
2: <laughs> <laughs> yes. um, because I don't
1: know a lot about it I will admit um, but I do want to thank you today Jadam um, for joining me to talk about In the Street, Democratic Action Theatricality and Political Friendship published by Oxford University Press in 2021 I assume one can purchase this book at the Oxford University Press website. Is there a local brick and mortar store to which you would like to give a shout out? Oh, uh,
2: that totally quote me, caught me off guard. No, not, not, not that I can think of right now. That's no problem. We'll just direct
1: people to the Oxford University Press website <laughs>
2: to,
1: um, to pick up your book. Thank you so much for joining me to talk about it today.
2: Yes, thank you so much. And thank you so much for the excellent, amazing questions.
1: My pleasure.